Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Brother Hillbilly from West Virginia moved his family to Canada. And uh, found ourselves on the north side of Edmonton. And uh, we didn't know too many people. And uh, we were uh, busy uh, trying to uh, establish a, a church uh, here in this city. And it uh, wasn't long after we came that I got a phone call from Jim. And introduced himself. And back then they had a midweek service on Tuesday, wasn't it? I think Thursday night. I knew it was one some evil night that you're not supposed to meet. <laughs> But uh, their midweek service and Bible study was Thursday night, and uh, he called and said, hey, I want you to come. Why don't you come and, and preach and meet our church family and 
we went down. Hannah was, I don't know if she was even born yet. If she was born, she was almost ready to be born. Uh, Carrie was probably great with child, actually, when we went there. And uh, Rebecca hadn't grown up for sure. She hasn't grown up yet. And be praying she does before the baby's born. And uh, Rebecca was five, and Lizzie was four, I believe, or three. And uh, we went there uh, to Vision Baptist Church and uh, met the dear folks, met Pastor Jim and Miss Ruth, and they were a uh, blessing to us and been a dear friend for many, many, many years. And uh, I knew without a doubt uh, that God was going to direct him in the direction that the Lord led them. Uh, when he called and told me, I wasn't shocked. I'm like, yeah, I knew that was coming. And uh, I was excited for them and excited we can support them and excited to have them here when they're I'm glad they still have kids here. If their kids ever move away, I'm going to have to bring one of them back. And uh, I'm glad to have them here tonight. Appreciate Brother Jim. Come tonight and share and uh, preach this evening. Appreciate you, my brother. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. It is a blessing to be here, and I do count Pastor as a dear friend. Uh, I can always count on him phoning me up at least uh, once every couple weeks to see how I'm doing, see if I'm still around, see if I'm still in the ministry. I think that's what he's more doing is checking up on me to see if I'm still out there. And uh, I do appreciate Pastor and uh, Mrs. Rice uh, very much and the family and uh, dear, dear family. And uh, I appreciate you folks. Uh, my wife and I uh, thank you very much for your uh, prayer support over these last, we're coming up to three years. It's hard to believe we're three years into this in the end of uh, March. It'll be three years. We've been with First Bible and traveling around. And we have uh, been in 88 different churches. And that to me is a shock for a fellow that didn't like going to preaching uh, churches in the neighborhood, let alone uh, all over the country. And uh, God can use you, amen? And uh, he can use, he used me, he can use you. And uh, so we've been traveling quite a bit, and we put on around uh, probably about 60 to 70,000 kilometers a year on our vehicles. So we do a lot of traveling in different places and in different climates, and uh, <laughs> the Lord has been so good to us, keeping us safe, and I believe it's because of the prayers of God's people. Uh, we also want to thank you for the Christmas gift that you folks sent us. I don't want to uh, forget that either. Uh, that is a blessing, and your financial support. We uh, Last time we were here, I think it was in June. Uh, last time I preached for you, it was in June of last year. And uh, so we have been in uh, the Maritimes, and the Lord really opened a great door in the Maritimes. We were just amazed at how receptive the church folks were there to the idea of uh, Bible translation and Bible publishing. And uh, pray for the Maritimes. We're going to be going back in the fall, and uh, I believe we have a great door open there as well. Uh, once again to go back and Lord willing uh, we'll be establishing a Bible uh, bearing precious seed ministry in one of the churches there uh, they have already voted on it and they want to get uh, equipment cutter 
They want to get staplers and they want to bring the signatures up uh, and uh, start a bearing precious seed ministry in that church. And uh, that is a real blessing. That really wasn't the focus of our ministry, but I guess because we've been involved in it for about 20 years at Vision, I guess it's a natural transition to do some of that. And uh, also, while we're in uh, Halifax, there is a church there uh, connected. Some of you may have heard of uh, Perry F. Rockwood. Anyone heard of Perry F. Rockwood? We were able to be in that church and preach in that church and uh, also stay in Perry F. Rockwood's old apartment upstairs. And that was kind of neat to stay in his place uh, for about a month. And uh, they had a piece of uh, some equipment down in the basement uh, that they used to use, a trimmer, a stapler, and a collator. And it was just sitting there for the last few years. So I asked them if we could have it. And they gave it to us. And uh, we had it transported from Halifax out to Pemina Valley Baptist Church. And Lord willing, we'll be starting a Bearing Precious Seed ministry there in Pemina Valley Baptist Church. So the Lord's using us in some ways we did not quite expect. Uh, but certainly, uh, the Lord's opened doors with translation work. And it has been very, very well received. And I, I trust that it's because of the prayers of God's people and the interest of God's people in getting the gospel out to all the world. And, uh, you know, uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.1. Let me encourage you to come to the Workers' Conference. Uh, it will be a blessing to you. If you've not heard Brother Wilkerson preach, uh, he is a great preacher. What a humble spirit that man has. And uh, you will get a blessing. I did not realize that Pastor was changing the dress code this year. So I can wear my Hawaiian shirt, my Bermuda shorts, and flip-flops. <laughs> but I have to wear white socks with that too, right? Isn't that the way it is? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that conference. And I'll be there. Uh, my wife will be there. And... Uh, Pray for her. She's traveling uh, tomorrow. She's going to go see, fly out to go see Joshua and uh, down in BC and visit the Allens there for a little bit as well. So she's flying out tomorrow. So if you pray for her. The message that I'm preaching, uh, I, I pastor asked me to preach and I always, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to preach? And then I I, I kind of continue to just listen to the Lord and pastor mentioned the gospel like three or four times last Sunday. And so I felt like the Lord was leading me in this direction to preach a message. Is the gospel hid? Is the gospel hid? You know what a gospel we have. Amen. It is a life changing gospel. And as we are thinking about Bible translation and Bible assembly, it's because we understand it contains the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that gospel is able to change lives. I trust that it's changed your life, amen? I got saved when I was uh, 23 years old uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that good news, and that gospel through Christ changed me. Uh, changed my whole direction in life, and it continues to work in my life, amen? 
the gospel is effective. But notice here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this to the Corinthian church, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Then he says, but, but always changes direction, amen. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together in the word of God. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that we can open it and your word will speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you that we can behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you that it is changing our life day by day, and it changes us into the image of Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take the word of God and you work it through our lives so that we might be more like Christ. And Lord, help us not to forget the gospel. Help us not to forget to take the gospel into all the world so that others might have this life-changing message. Lord, bless our time together, and thank you for it. Thank you for this great church. And Lord, we do love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've gone to uh, throughout the country uh, and into the United States, we have noticed one thing, is that the gospel is working. I remember when we first started uh, the church at Vision Baptist Church, the churches in Alberta were few in number and small in attendance. But one thing I've noticed is that our churches have grown numerically in uh, amount of churches and also numerically in the number of people in the churches. Uh, I, I remember days when we saw a crowd like this that's here tonight would be one of the bigger crowds in our churches. But in across Canada... And even into the United States, we have seen churches, uh, their numbers have grown. I was encouraged to hear Brother Smith, uh, I read that today as well, and, and hearing the number of 70 people in the service. Uh, what a blessing that is. Uh, that means the gospel is working, amen? The death, burial, the message of the death, burial, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is working in our country, Amen. But unfortunately, there are some things at work that are making the gospel to hide. Uh, four things I want to give you tonight. First, we see it in uh, this verse here. Uh, the devil wants to hide this glorious gospel. You know, the gospel that we have is not a man-made gospel. It, it, it has been designed by God. It's not an ineffectual gospel. 
It's not a run-of-the-mill gospel. You know, it's not like getting a John Maxwell book or a Joel Olstein book, amen, uh, and, and reading their good news, so-called. Uh, it is a life-changing gospel. It's not a deceitful gospel, not a feign gospel. It says it's a glorious gospel. This is a glorious gospel, amen? And what makes the gospel glorious? Could I say because of who secured it for us, amen? Notice it says here that the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine. This is a gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel that was designed by our eternal God, amen? It's a gospel designed by our creator God, a loving God, a righteous God, a holy God. Amen. This is not a run-of-the-mill, ineffectual gospel because of the God who created this gospel or made this gospel, if you will. He is a compassionate God, an ever-present God. Amen. The long-suffering God, the prayer-hearing. We've been hearing about prayer. He's a prayer-hearing God. He wants us to pray. He wants to answer our prayer. What a great God we have, a good God. It is a glorious gospel. That's why that sign, it says, but thanks be God to God, which giveth us the victory. Why do we have the victory? Because it's a glorious gospel. Amen. It's a life-changing gospel. Isn't this glorious gospel which saved our souls? Isn't it the gospel that's taken away the guilt of sin? Given us eternal life? What a gospel, amen? Uh, the world can't match that with their self-help books or their, their numerologies or all their new age movements, their plans and their programs. They can't match this glorious gospel that we have. This glorious gospel changes and has changed our life. It's given us hope. It heals relationships. It gives purpose to life, doesn't it? This gospel gives purpose to our life. It's the basis for success in this life. By the way, it gives us fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a glorious gospel that we have. Even though this gospel is glorious, Paul makes a statement that gospel is hid to the lost. That's kind of a sad thought, isn't it? That it's hid to the lost. The devil is one of the things. I'll get there in a moment. It's a, a wonderful gospel, a glorious gospel, yet this gospel is still hidden. Over 7,000 languages spoken in our world and yet only a few have a Bible in their own language. Eight plus billion people in this world, and over half the world has never heard of this glorious gospel. There are people in this community that have never heard about this glorious gospel. That's kind of sad when you think about how glorious this gospel is, and yet there are so many people that have never heard this gospel. 
You know, the gospel was designed to reach the lost and dying world. It was designed for that, amen? It was designed to give us the victory. It was designed to give us eternal life. It was designed to give us fellowship. It was designed to keep people out of hell. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. What's the next two words, folks? To everyone that believeth. It's a gospel for everyone. It's not just for a few. Amen? It's not just a design for a few lucky ones, quote unquote. This gospel is for everyone that believeth. But the gospel is hid. Four reasons why it's hid. First, the devil wants it hid. The devil wants it hid. It says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil is ever working to keep this gospel hid from the lost. The devil wants to make sure that he uh, uh, appears as a man in a red suit with a pitchfork, amen? He wants to mock the gospel. He wants to try and uh, make sure that the lost are all caught up in amusements, in careers, in making money, in all of the distractions of life. In atheism, if you will, I've read an article, actually, I have it here. I don't know if I'm going to read much of it tonight. Where did I put it? Oh, here it is. I saw this on the internet today. The church, a church without God, how secular con- congregations fill a need for some non-religious Americans. You read the article and you find out that they've got these so-called churches. Now you understand it's not a church, amen. It's just a gathering of uh, unsaved people. But they're gathering together and they're singing songs and they're having testimonies and they're counterfeiting the church. The devil wants to uh, just distract people from this glorious gospel. He wants to hide the truth, if you will. Environmentalism, pantheism, different religions, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Catholicism, Islam... Narcissism, politics, wokeism, Black Lives Matter, our victim mentality, pornography, gambling, drinking, New Age religions. The devil is at work trying to distract people from the gospel. Amen. Trying to distract people from the truth of the gospel. Can I even say he plants in people's minds wrong thinking about God too? God is holding something. Don't get saved because if you get saved, he's going to hold something back from you. You're not going to be able to drink and smoke and do all the drugs anymore. You're not going to be able to have fun anymore. The devil is a liar, amen? And he's trying to hide that gospel, the gospel of Christ, the glorious gospel. He's holding back some good thing from you. God is unfair. God is unkind. You can make God whoever you want him to be. (laughs) Don't we have that today? Amen. 
Just make God whoever you, God as you understand it is the AA cry, amen? God as you understand him. God is a figment of man's imagination. The devil wants to hide the gospel. God is for the weak. The devil just wants to distract the lost about the reality of life. So he has TV. He's got all this music just to distract people from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the devil does not want this glorious gospel to be known. He wants it to be hid. Could I say, secondly, because the gospel's been corrupted. The gospel's been corrupted. 2 Corinthians 4.2 says, But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You know, there are those that will handle the word of God deceitfully. They will turn the words of God around to make them say what they are not really saying. Amen. Scripture is full of warnings of those who would corrupt the word of God. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know, there's a lot of false doctrine on the internet. I knew a guy, and I'd preach, and, and uh, he'd go home, and he'd get on the internet and find something that wouldn't be what I said, and he'd come back, and he'd say, well, this guy says this, and this guy said, I mean, there is every wind of doctrine on the internet, folks. Be careful. Be careful. Our authority is this book, amen? Our authority is not what a man says or what the internet says. That's why it's important to be church, in church, amen? It says, with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. You know, the gospel is hid because it's been corrupted. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, for the time will, uh, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. Paul even warned the uh, Ephesus church in the, uh, actual, after he established it. He says, for I know this. Paul says, I know this. What does he know? He said that after my departing, Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? That's why it's important to have a pastor, amen? So they can watch for your souls. He can watch the flock. Make sure these people don't come in to deceive. <laughs> it says also, uh-oh, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's kind of a sad thought, isn't it? In our own churches, there are people that will arise and start turning people away. We, got, we just got a, uh, 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 something on the mail from a guy up north, didn't we? He was in a good church, and he's now sowing discord, sowing discord, sowing discord.
pulling people down. And he was from amongst us. Second John 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. The gospel is hid because it's been corrupted. Think about Calvinism. By the way, folks, in our independent Baptist churches, not so much in Canada, but in the States, more and more of this Calvinism is coming in and entering into our good churches and corrupting the gospel. Calvinism is wrong. It's error. Amen? Say it louder. Amen? It ought not to be. God did not choose some for heaven and some for hell. It's whosoever will. Amen? You can't be a one-point, two-point, three-point Calvinist. Amen? You can't be. You're either a Baptist or a Calvinist. I mean, there's no in-between. Amen? Baptismal regeneration. The charismatic movement. Name it and claim it. The cults. Paul had to deal with these type of things in his day. The Judaizers, boy, he was dealing with the Judaizers, those that wanted to put the uh, Christians back under the law and deal with that all the time. Gnostics, that would be the book of Galatians. Folks, bad translations. The devil wants to corrupt the gospel by bad translations. You know what? Some of the newer versions, our, our English versions say, a young woman shall be with a child. Well, my wife is a young woman and she had seven of them, amen? And yes, it was a miracle after a miracle. But nothing like what the Bible says. A virgin shall bear, amen? Uh, you know... The gospel is being corrupted by all of these modern translations. And here's something. i got to hurry, but I do want to give you this thought. A lot of the uh, newer English versions was a result of a philosophy back in the 50s and 60s uh, for getting translations done in other languages. And so because they wanted to get these uh, uh, Bibles translated into other languages and they didn't have the exact words they didn't have words for maybe sheep or whatever it is so they used a dynamic equivalent they they did a commentary on the bible in a different language and that philosophy stemmed over came over into our english bibles amen same philosophy dynamic equivalency folks the gospel is being corrupted because of bad translations. The modern church is giving the world. By the way, you go to Wycliffe and sincere people, but they're giving them bad translations. They're giving them something like a good news for modern man. Anyways, I better move on. Next thought for you. Y'all said amen to these, but I'm not sure if you're going to say amen to the next few points. The church is not doing their job. The church has become a social church, social club. 
Mark says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Many churches have forgotten why Christ established them. Instead of reaching out to the lost, the church loves to gather for politics, potlucks, and programs. We're concerned more with social gospel, a gospel that is uh, more concerned about the ills of society, the homelessness, the poverty, the lack of water. Now, all of these things are great needs. I understand that. And, and Jesus understood that, amen? But we use those things to reach them with the gospel. See, the gospel is the one that's going to change poverty. The gospel is going to change homelessness. The gospel is going to change addictions. Gospel is going to change all the ills of society if we can just get them the gospel. Changed me. Amen. And it changed him. We hope it changes him more, amen. 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 Trying to get him back. Amen. <laughs> See, I'm up here and you're down there, amen. <laughs> These are real issues that need to be solved, but they won't be unless the glorious gospel shines into their heart. A gospel which does not address the heart but only takes care of the physical and emotional well-being is not a gospel at all. That's right. Amen. It has to take care of this wicked old heart Amen. and change the heart. When the heart's changed, then man can be changed. Amen. Right. Amen. And our society can be changed. But the church is not doing its job. The church has become a social club. It's become self-focused. Those in the church are looking for a comfortable place to hear a sermon. I told you I wouldn't hear any amens, amen. <laughs> we want something that kind of tickles our ears, that makes us feel... We live in this feel-good world anymore, don't we? Don't we? I mean, that's what the world wants us to do, is feel good about, oh, don't you dare give anyone a zero on a test... Oh, that'll hurt that kid's self-image and he'll be damaged for life. They'll never overcome that. Never fail a child. Give everybody a participation ribbon. What a bunch of hogwash, amen? Self-focused. No longer do believers want to hear about sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. We care more about how the church makes us feel. We want programs for our children. Not that programs are bad, amen? I'm glad for Patch the Pirate Club. I'm glad for some programs, but the idea of the programs is not the program, but, but to reach the children with the gospel, amen? The programs of the church many times are designed to entertain and not educate. We want the Spirit to move and comfort us. We want to be changed into the image of Christ. The problem is the image of Christ, we imagine, is very narcissistic, self-serving. We love the Psalms, but we don't like the Proverbs or James. The books of the prophets hold no taste for us because they're too judgmental. We want music which will appeal to the senses and the flesh. 
The church has become a coffee clutch instead of taking the gospel to a lost and dying world. The church has become worldly. We are too concerned about how we present ourselves to outsiders. We don't want to offend the unsaved sensibilities by a strong gospel presentation. How many funerals that we've been to, eh, Ruth? And the gospel, the opportunity to preach the gospel, and they soft soap it. What a great opportunity that pastor has in the next little while, and I know what he's going to do. He's going to present the gospel clear and plain. And you know what? Give people an opportunity to get saved. But we don't want to use words like the blood of Christ. Don't talk about hell. Just talk about, you know, a Christless eternity. We have seeker-sensitive services. At the same time, we lull believers into a wishy-washy concept of God who never judges and is lovey-dovey. Forethought for you. The believer is not doing their job. The believer is not doing their job. Can I suggest to you a few reasons why we are not doing the job of getting the gospel out like we need to? We forgot what the Lord's done for us. You know, it's great being a Christian. Aren't you glad you get blessed by God? Amen. Aren't you glad God takes care of you day by day? He answers your prayer. Aren't you glad that it's wonderful to be a Christian? Amen. I remember an old song. I, I wish I could find the words. My wife uh, introduced me to this lady that said, the people of God are the best people in this world. Amen. Why? We got God. It's wonderful to be a Christian. But we forgot where we came from. We forgot the pit from whence we were dug. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy. Don't ever forget. I don't care if you were saved like my wife at 5, or you were saved at 23, or 43, or 53, or 63. Folks, we still were saved out of the same life of sin. Some saved from sin and some out of sin. But we've all received the same mercy from God. Isn't God good to give us that mercy? We can never forget that we were on our way to hell. We can never forget that we didn't have fellowship with God. We can never forget that we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, that we, that, that we were uh, enemies of God. We can't forget that. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were sheep going astray. 
but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also, also hath suffered, once suffered for sins. He suffered. We can't ever forget what God did for us, what Christ did for us on that cross. He suffered for our sins. He was sinless, spotless. He suffered for our sin. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. There's the gospel, amen. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. As we have received mercy. I've been reading through Exodus. And it was interesting that as Moses was instructed by God to make the different implements for the tabernacle, one of the first things he was to make was the mercy seat. I thought that was pretty interesting. The mercy seat. Folks, we wake up every day and we have the mercies of God. A bucket full. By the end of the day, that bucket is totally empty, amen? We've used it up. But the problem is we forget about those mercies and how much, how desperately we need the mercies of God. We get feeling pretty good about ourselves, don't we? We got nice clothes. We don't swear. We don't smoke. We don't spit. We, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We're pretty good people now. But we forget we're really not. Our righteousness is all of Christ. And we forget that so easily. And we go about our day forgetting the mercies of God. We become a little too self-righteousness, self-righteous. We become a, a little too self-sufficient. We, we become a little too comfortable in our Christianity. So we forget to let others know what God's done for us. So the gospel remains hidden. Second thought for you is we don't operate in our gifting. We don't operate in our gifting. Did you know every one of us have been given spiritual gifts? Amen. It says here in Peter, as every man, every man hath received the gift, even so minister. Now I understand in the local church, but God's given gifts so that we can minister out there too, amen, to a lost and dying world and give out that gospel. We have been given these gifts and instead of operating gifts, we operate in excuses. We say, we can't do that because. <laughs> Amen? And we can write down this list. I'm too timid. I'm too shy. I'm too fearful. I don't have time. That's not my gift. <laughs> Amen? And we can give all these excuses of why we can't do it, why we can't. Give out the gospel tracts, and I'm preaching to myself. 
My wife is so faithful in that. Puts me to shame. Hebrews says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. I'm looking at a bunch of teachers tonight. Do we have really any excuse to not give out the gospel? To not operate in that gifting? But ye shall receive what? Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses. We have no excuse, folks. But we excuse ourselves. <laughs> Don't we? We ought to be teachers, and we're not. Sometimes we'll even say, the job's too big. Uh, the, the, this uh, getting the gospel out to Edmonton, it's too large of a project. Look at us. We're only 50 people here on, on a Wednesday night, 120 on a Sunday morning or whatever it is. We can't reach a million people. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Let me read you this. I may have read this to you before, but this is one of my favorite quotes. It's by someone who's definitely not a Christian. What happened to it? Uh, no, not that one. Okay. Impossible is just the word. What happened to it? I love the internet when it works. I had it just a moment ago. And it disappeared on me. Impossible is just the word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. What a great quote, amen? With God, all things are what? Amen? Who would have thought that a church in downtown Edmonton would have been possible? Amen? Did you know independent Baptist churches are vilified in this world? Oh, you can't plant an independent Baptist church. They have standards. They preach on sin. They have a holy God. How can you build a church with that kind of doctrinal preaching? <laughs> I guess that uh, you folks have dispelled that, amen. William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We excuse ourselves that we can't do it for whatever reason. Next thing, the believers, oh man, my time's gone. I have to preach fast, you'll have to listen fast now. Another reason the gospel is hid is because the believer is caught up in the world. We are too caught up in the amusements, the career, the money, the homes, the pension. We like our toys, our golf, our sea-doos, our ski-doos, the ATVs, the boats, the campers, the holidays. 
And sometimes we feel like we deserve those things. They have them. Why shouldn't I? Amen? And we get caught up in the worldly thought process, the worldly philosophy of life and living. Timothy says, no man that warreth. And we're in a war, remember? Amen? It's a war that we are in. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Ephesians says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Put off the conversation of the old man. But we like the things of the world sometimes way too much. And we involve ourselves in the worldly things of life. We want to look like the world, have the things of the world to the detriment of the gospel. Is it wrong to have a nice house? Brother Ahmad, is it wrong? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to have nice clothes? But if it's to the detriment of the gospel, then guess what? It's wrong. Amen? It's wrong. We have this attitude that Christ has made us free so we can throw out the principles found in Scripture. I know this is not in this church, but we were in a church. Let me give you this testimony. We were in this church. We took <laughs> Brother Hodge to this church, and it was a church that had supported him for 30 years. And we get in, and there's a drum set on the side, and the back of the area, the platform area, is all of this sparkly stuff. My wife said that, wife and I talked, maybe all they were missing was a little disco ball in the middle and a few different lights. The pastor and a few other people get up and they have a worship team. The songs are on the screen. Not that I'm against that necessarily, but they sang all these 7-Eleven songs, amen? Seven words, 11 times. We didn't even know the words of the songs. We didn't even know them. Independent, fundamental Baptist church. Their, their pulpit was plexiglass. I'm not against plexiglass pulpit, necessarily. But in the front, the Bible sat closed like this, in full view of everybody. And the preacher preached out of, oh, by the way, the worship leader was a woman. The pastor was in the back. What's that? In jeans. The Bible was on that plexiglass pulpit like that, and the pastor preached out of an iPad. Not against iPad, preaching out of an iPad. But folks, that Bible ought to be open because the authority comes from here, not from an iPad preacher. Amen? As long as it's an Apple iPad, it's okay, but if it's... <laughs> Amen, brother, preach on that one. <laughs> so
So we have this attitude, Christ made us free so we can throw the principles found in Scripture. We can have tattoos and piercings, Christian watch, uh, rock, watch anything on TV we want to, go to the theater, the beaches, gamble, drink sociably. By the way, didn't Jesus make wine? Dress immodestly and any number of other worldly activities because we are free. That's worldliness. That's worldliness. That smacks of the world. Corinthians says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye, what's the next word, folks? Separate. We are a peculiar people. We ought to act like a peculiar people. By the way, it's okay to be a little different. Amen? in our deportment. And you know what? People will see that. People will see that. Could I say that worldly Christians blaspheme the name of God and thereby hide the gospel? Boy, I'm out of time. I know you want to go home. Let me just say this. Isn't it sad that the gospel, this glorious gospel that we have, is hid? It ought to be out there. Y'all, anyone go to a football game? Hockey game? You guys are a bunch of sinners. <laughs> Not a soccer game. Oh, good. But you know what? Those people are excited, amen? They love to see their team score, and they're on their feet, and they love to cheer and make noise. And <laughs> I watched a football game the other day with my son, and there were idiots out there in Kansas where it was freezing cold, and they had their shirts off. They weren't ashamed of their gospel. Are we? Are we hiding our gospel? The devil wants it hid. Hey, he's worked hard to hide the gospel. He's worked hard to corrupt the gospel. But are we working equally hard as a church to make sure the gospel, this glorious gospel is going out? And Christian, are we living this glorious gospel like it ought to be lived? Or are we hiding that gospel? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Pastor Rice, thank you very much. Lord, I thank you for the reminder tonight. Lord, as we saw in the picture on the screen this evening, much of the world is in darkness. Lord, it isn't because there isn't light. Lord, you, the light of the world, came and became flesh and dwelt amongst us. You came and died in my place, were buried and rose again, the gospel. Lord, how wonderful it is that we have the hope that is in Christ. We have the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Lord, I thank you tonight for the man that brought the light of the gospel to my family. 
I thank you for the testimony of many in here tonight that would say somebody shine the light of the gospel for them so they could know the truth. Lord, I know the testimony of many in this room. And Lord, I thank you for those that were responsible for carrying that truth, that light.